Hello! And welcome to Occasionally Interesting. We are recording this on the eve before Trevor's departure to a one-week-long silent meditation retreat. How are you feeling? I'm feeling vapositively <laughs> spectacular. <laughs> Got my books downloaded. Got my phone back. Although you're not supposed to use the phone there. Yeah. It's just a, a secondary pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we've ever sat across from each other before. We're making a lot of eye contact. It's weird. <laughs> I thought you enjoy it when I make eye contact. Uh, I never said that. <laughs> don't no, like it when I make I do eye like it when you make eye contact. You have very pretty eyes. It's well, nice to you. get to see them. You can't see them if I'm not looking at you? Nope, I've never seen them before, actually. This is a, a new discovery for me, how beautiful your eyes are. Well, it took you long enough. This is a lie. I have my ring modeled after your pretty eyes. I feel honored. As you should. <laughs> As I do. All right. Well, I look forward to uh, your full report when you return from your Vipassana to share with are occasionally interesting heights. I do as well. You're going to be super zen and super interesting. I'm going to be zen AF. Woo woo. Holler. Holler. Uh, all right. So on today's episode, we have Eric. Eric is different from us. <laughs> he <laughs> is, uh, what? Anarcho-capitalist libertarian, or does he still go by libertarian? I, I can't remember you exactly. Him to that. I think the correct uh, classification would be what you said. Anarcho-capitalist. Yes, which is, in my opinion, uh, right-wing libertarian. Ah, does, and does he agree with this assessment? I can't remember. <laughs> I mean, well, stay tuned for the famous. rest of this episode to see what he actually says about himself. It comes up quickly. Yes. Um. What do we what do we go into? We go into the merits of anarchism as a political philosophy, which, if you're not familiar with those terms, is different than what people generally conjure when they think of anarchy. It's just lawlessness, and um, as a political philosophy, it goes a bit deeper than that. So we talk about the merits of that as an idea. We sort of come at it from two opposite viewpoints. I think we both um sympathize with the idea of anarchy as a political mission in that the more governance you have over society inherently the less freedom you have and therefore in order to maximize freedom you need to limit government which has its merits however i would say the solution is not free market capitalism it's more socialism is where we he and I differed. And then there's a a test that, that Trevor thinks is a bit controversial, but Eric gives us a test about whether or not we are on the right or the left. And Jen has a surprise answer. <laughs> so stay tuned for that test and you can take it yourself. Follow along at home. <laughs> <laughs> you may even surprise yourself. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Um 
Eric was my boyfriend in college, and I have always thought of him as one of the greatest arguers of all time, and I'd been looking forward to him and Trevor getting to have this conversation, because I, I had said uh, before they got the chance to talk that they seemed like two sides of the same coin of, uh, it was a, it was a nice, I don't know, conversational dance to witness between the two of you. Why, thank you. <laughs> um, Eric also helped us get up, get set up with our podcast and our audio stuff. Cause he's an audio dude. So thanks for that, Eric. Thank you. As always, our intros are stunning and flawless, and we know they're everybody's favorite part of the show. I thought this was better than normal. <laughs> yeah. Well, you talked, so that was good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you're looking for. You're doing great. Should I sing a song? Yeah, that'd no. be great. Hey. All right. Well. Maybe. <laughs> if you go to our Patreon page, which is newly set up and will shortly be on the website, how do you find our Patreon page? It'll definitely be set up by next episode. We're, you go to patreon.com slash occasionally interesting. Then you can just donate now? You can just donate now. Cool. Yeah, guys, do it because you really uh, screwed us over with your Amazon stuff. So um, yeah. So there's a couple of tiers. Uh, if you select the highest tier, I will sing a song on this podcast for your listening pleasure. That's amazing. I will... Can I... Pay for that? Like, wait, yeah, what? Sure. Just one, one person? $1,000 a month. Are you serious? I figured, why not put it up there? Did you really put up already that you're going to sing a song? No, but Uh-oh. there are other incentives in there. Just swag. I uh, volunteered your services to make uh, customized, personal, occasionally interesting swag. All right. Uh, for different tiers. That's exciting. On. Yes. Yeah. Everybody loves our jackets, which you can see on our Instagram page. So you can have your own custom, super cool, occasionally interesting jackets. Support the show in more ways than one. It will, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. Patreon.com slash occasionally interesting. And I'll have it more fully set up by the next episode slash integrate it to our website. But. I'm not going to do that before this episode comes out. So next next week, stay tuned. Keep checking. We'll remind you. Don't worry. Yeah. You can still go donate right now, though. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Without further ado, Eric. Occasionally interesting. Occasionally interesting They are Occasionally interesting Where to begin? Where to begin indeed I guess uh, How would you characterize your political Beliefs? That is an excellent question Uh, Because I've been thinking a lot about it Lately actually since we had Our our conversation in Messenger Um Let's preface this that Eric listened to a podcast episode and uh, and then promptly got into a Facebook fight with Trevor. What episode was that <laughs> in regards to? Do you remember? I, I don't remember. He th- what what sparked it for me was um, see we're already getting right into it. <laughs> he uh, he said that the military 
like all of the military interventions we have are a result of capitalism. And from my perspective, uh, perspective and the definition of capitalism that I use, that's it's exactly the opposite. It's 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 literally because of like non-free market forces that we, that we have our foreign policy that we do now. So what I was saying was that that's what got me thinking um, of like relabeling because I always called myself an anarcho-capitalist. And then I just realized that that word means or that label means absolutely nothing to anybody who isn't like deep into libertarianism. <laughs> so because because we are literally we are just completely using different words for capitalism and there's different words for socialism too. Um, so I think the, the label that would best characterize my political views is free market anarchist. Um, so would you say you're more on the right wing of the libertarian spectrum or the left? I think of it. See, getting into the weeds. It really depends on what you mean by right and left, but in most contexts, I, I'm definitely on the right. Um, one way that you can look at right and left is right. Uh, so all the way to the right is like extreme in individualism and all the way to the left is extreme collectivism. So in that sense, I'm all the way to the right. Okay, so this is interesting. I would peg myself on the opposite direction. Okay. Um, which makes sense. You're an anarcho-communist? I, I mean, it depends. Honestly, I, I, I don't necessarily like to use terminologies like that because in truth, I think that change needs to happen incrementally. So I would not necessarily vote for an anarcho-communist. Um, I would say that I think that they have an ideology that is closely aligned with mine, but I don't think that you could just snap your fingers and put into place a lot of their practices or theories in today's society coming out of capitalism and be successful. And I think that that society and culture influence the way that we are able to perceive systems working and there needs to be incremental change to sort of shift the cultural perspective to a place that would allow these systems to operate. So society and culture play a huge role into when you can implement change you can't just snap your fingers and say all right no more rules for anybody everybody cooperate and get along you need to have incremental change in order to get to that place um and, and left-wing social like collective work i think is the optimal idealistic solution but we can't just necessarily snap our fingers and have that put into practice um where I, 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 while I understand a lot of the appeal of right-wing libertarianism, I think that if we were to put that into practice, that we would all become slaves of major corporations and wind up being much less free than we were under governmental restriction of free market. All right. Well, I agree a thousand percent that like, I, I want there to be no government. I also don't think if I just snap my fingers and the government disappeared, or I mean, more more accurately, if everybody with a government job just quit and then all the buildings got sold off and everything became free market, I I don't think 
if that just happened instantly, that that would be a good thing. I think it would it would actually devolve into the chaos that everybody characterizes anarchy as. Um, you definitely need a you need a culture of people who respect each other's individual rights and treats each other as if they own themselves before you can really have a free market, uh, a totally free market society. So well, how, how do you reconcile? And all right, so before we go any deeper, I, I think that uh, we should keep in mind that probably the majority of our listeners have only scratched the surface of these types of terminologies and, and the rabbit holes and how far they each sort of go down and the branches that each goes into. So I think that Jen is a fair... Uh, person to be like you know i don't i I don't understand (laughs) you know please please you know for our listeners are you back we we, yep i'm here (laughs) um so jen can you know if i I blame thailand internet thailand internet is fantastic yeah thailand internet is vastly (laughs) better than the u.s you keep you keep leaving it's not us what i've been to thailand yeah, we live permanently in Thailand. We know internet, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I was there for 10 whole days. <laughs> well, you've been here for over 10 whole months. <laughs> were you Were you just in Bangkok? Okay. Yeah. Ah. Did you win a fight? Can you? No, I, I just trained. Oh. It, was, it was intense and it was amazing. When are you coming back? We live across the street from Mai Tai Gym. That's cool. Are are you trying to lure me there? <laughs> yes. This is the, we try uh, to lure everyone here. I mean, not that you're not special. We're no, we're <laughs> we're, we're trying to lure only you. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying that I'm not special. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know we're 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 socialists and communists over here. Nobody's special or better than anyone we're, else. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, that okay. That honestly. That just reminded me of something <laughs> that I wanted to ask you. Um, this guy, like, who is an anarchist, was on the Joe Rogan podcast. His name is Michael Malice, and he has a lit a litmus test litmus test for determining if someone is on the left or the right. And I can give it to you, but you can't know what it is beforehand. So okay. I'm going to ask been, Jen. Have you ever been to a politicalcompass.org before we get into that? No. Okay. Well, oh, yeah. Yes. Yes, I have. It, Sorry. It I plots remember, yeah. you on an XY coordinate plane of, of after asking like a pretty in depth series. Of, oh, okay. that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. I you do also that. you don't you don't just get left and right. You get up and down as well. And like they also I'm, they put like where like Bill Clinton would be or Mother Teresa and all these other political figures. Wow. Oh. Yeah. It's but anyway. Okay. Give me the can, political can guess, litmus test. Or can, well, yeah. Well, no. This is a this is a quick one. Uh. By the way, I'm I'm all the way to the bottom and to the right on that test. <laughs> on the political pretty... compass website. Yes. If I if I remember correctly, I believe I was top left. Or bottom <laughs> left. Wow. I, I can't. I, I, it's been a while. I honestly didn't expect that. I could have swore you called yourselves moderates on this podcast. <laughs> oh, we definitely have. I mean, but in comparison to what? And we're speaking from a viewpoint of cultural vernacular rather than understanding of political definitions in in terms of comparing ourselves to the people around us we are definitely the most 
moderate people of our age group in uh, the town that we live in in Thailand. But uh, I also took the, the that particular test when I was probably eighteen and more yeah. idealistic than I am now. Oh no. <laughs> okay, give me the political litmus test. Okay. Uh, we'll we'll start with Jen. Um, do you agree with the statement some people are better than others? Yes. Okay, Trevor. <laughs> do you agree with the statement some people are better than others? For the sake of a one-word answer, I'll say yes. It doesn't have to be a one-word answer. Well, I think that it depends on how you define better. How you define better. How you, Trevor, define better. Are some people better than others? I guess it de- it still depends. I mean... Depends on what you- definition you're using? Yeah. I mean, better is such a vague word. I mean, Hitler, for instance, was pretty good at what he did, but that doesn't make him a good person. So he's, he's, he's better at some things than he is at others. I mean... Yeah, but... I feel... Uh, I mean, Hitler's an example of, uh, you know, somebody with some really extreme I will take it to the less extreme. You're better at art than I am, but does that make you a better person than me? He didn't... Well, there's. I feel like even the pluralization of the word makes it different. Like, a better person somehow implies more morals, but are, are there... See, that you're, you're people... automatically now putting morals into play. I mean, who said anything about morals? That's, that's what I'm saying. I, I think that the the, sing, the singular person, I'm I a better person than you, at least in terms of, like, cultural linguistics, I'm pretty sure that the average person in our culture would interpret that question as, are my morals better than yours? Interesting. But when when you just say it as a group of people, are some people better than others, then I take a more wholesome look at the whole thing. And just like overall in all categories, are some people, is there one person better than their neighbor in all categories? Like, yes, I do believe that for sure. But if you put it in economic terms, like there's people that are better suited for particular jobs than others, but that doesn't make them better, you know, more like on all these other ways that you could define that term. I can't imagine what argument you could say to me. I feel like this is like definitely one of the main areas where I don't fit in, in the hippie community. And this is a conversation a lot of people have, and we've had people on our podcast before where it's like, I agree with them on almost everything. Okay. Fred, I'm talking to Fred where she said like the, the thing that annoys her most about people is when people think that they're, better than other people and Mm. i understand what you guys are saying but it doesn't change my belief that i that i think some people are better than other people i mean it's just i mean i've met such garbage people and i've met such wonderful people and i think on pretty much any category unless the category is are you better at being a garbage person than uh you know one person might might be proficient in like I'm, I'm interested to see where this goes. I guess this makes me probably not much of a communist or socialist that I, I believe that. And I, but yeah, I know that it, it, it seems incongruous with most of the other things that I believe and the, 
groups that I tend to fit into. I know that my opinion is not a popular one in the groups that I travel in. Well, what is what? Are, what do these answers say about our? Is the litmus test over? Uh, yeah, yeah, basically. Well, first, uh, and how about what we'll have you answer it? I I answered yes, but like usually that's it. Uh, yes, because I, the only way in which that might not be true is is would be like saying some people don't deserve like more. I guess like basic human dignity. It, I don't even, it's re, it's really hard. Like I find it hard to find a way to say that some people aren't better or all people are equal, like in every way. I don't know. So my answer, my answer is the same as, as Jen's by the See, way. I mean, that's, that's, that's crazy. I don't think that anybody, <clears throat> anybody makes the claim that all people are equal in every way. I think that, when people say that you know equality should be your goal, what they're saying is that we should all be afforded the same opportunity to make of ourselves what we can. Well, if all people aren't equal, then how is one person not better than another person? Because we're not equal at the, at the same things. But when all is said and done, we're taking a wholesome look at the picture, a whole person and all of their things. If they're getting a 10 in categories X and Y, and a zero and A and B and another person is the but inverse. It's too, it's too it's too impossible to quantify because there's an infinite ways that you could judge them on how they can be better than somebody else. And you even take somebody with an extreme disability, like, and and that person you know can't do a whole multitude of things that I can do. But that doesn't you know it'd be hard pressed to find somebody that would say that that person's then less not better than me. That I am better. You'd than You'd be hard pressed to find someone to say that. I would say that again. So somebody, I know I'm unpopular. So somebody, I'm better than everybody in a wheelchair based on the, the virtue that I can walk and they can't. That's the claim you're making here. <laughs> well, you, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's insane. No, 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 no. What about Stephen Hawking's? Like, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go on record and say that Stephen Hawking's probably has me beat in a lot of categories. Okay, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't mean it like that. I didn't mean if someone in a wheelchair, I didn't mean everybody that can't walk is worse than everybody that can. That's not what I'm saying, but on that dimension, obviously. And, and there's no reason to think that it all equals out in the end. So yeah, I definitely don't think it all equals out. I think usually like if you're shitty in a few main categories, you're shitty in a bunch. I mean, because it, (laughs) whatever determinism, shittiness begets shittiness. So, so anyway, the, this the the test I just gave you. Uh, I we have a definitive answer on Jen, and um, it's kind of questionable with Trevor because he thought he had to give a one an- uh, one an- one word answer. Um, Jen is unequivocally on the right, and Trevor is questionable. <laughs> G- given this test, uh, the idea is people on the right think uh, any way you mean better, it's it's yes like like any way you can possibly mean that except for some like like what i was trying to get into like everyone deserves like some everyone has some like basic rights that people on the right believe that but but i wouldn't i wouldn't say that means that some that i wouldn't say that everyone is equal that doesn't mean some people aren't better than others that everybody has the same rights and if you're on the left you hear this question are some people better than others 
and you get uncomfortable and make a speech. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yes, that's the test. If you if you say yes, you're on the right. If you say a lot of words, you're on the left. <laughs> wow, this was a perfect test. Okay, I, I have a test to determine whether or not you're a communist, taken from the movie Trombone. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so say, you know, the, the, the test itself, this is given to a, a like four-year-old who's in school, and then he asks his father, she asks her, her father whether or not she's a communist, and the father responds, well, if you were in the cafeteria and you had a sandwich and you saw that the person sitting in front of you had no food whatsoever... Would you take your sandwich, split it in half, and give half to them? Or would you tell them to go out and God, find a goddamn job and work and get buy a fucking sandwich? <laughs> I went a little lean there at the end because I don't remember exactly how it went. But that was the gist of it. Um, I, think, I think the appropriate question would be, if you see someone that doesn't have enough food... Would you go? Would you go raise an army and take everything away from your rich neighbor and give it to the person who doesn't have the food? Uh, so you think? Do you know who Tulsi Gabbard is? Uh, she's a, a Democratic candidate for president. Um, she was in the debates. She was the most Googled person after the debates. Her her main thing is anti-war. Um, her she is like fantastic on foreign policy anyway the reason i was asking i was i was gonna say if well, we'll just say bernie sanders because he's anti-war too right pretty in his rhetoric at least <laughs> and so that i guess is on his voting record too but neither okay. here nor there continue okay. so okay so all other things equal if bernie sanders got in just just for the sake of argument, let's say all, the only thing he does is, is stop all the wars and bring all the troops home. You think you and I will be worse off as a result of that? Probably just as marginally as I benefit from those same efforts. Yeah. I mean, oh, that's interesting. also to, to be clear, I'm not necessarily talking about the wars in Syria or Iraq, Iran or any, any of that shit going on. I'm talking more about what's going on in Africa or South America, where it's not necessarily straight out warfare. It's, far more undercover than that where we go in and we, we we disrupt the economics of the region so that the military takes over in a coup and then we through usually money institute the next regime that is going to be favorable to us so we're not going in there guns blazing it's far more insidious than that the thing is i think i think the little people like us are completely I, I mean i think we're greatly harmed by u.s foreign policy i don't think we benefit at all um we're on on one end we're being taxed the federal reserve um inflates the money supply which gives us less spending power so we're getting double taxed there so we have to basically work i mean i i honestly think i keep about 20 20 hours a week that I work of the 40 hours I work in that respect. I would say that I, I agree with you in that there might be a net negative. I think that we benefit in some ways and we lose out in others. And if you were to quantify that in terms of money in your pocket, I'd say it's probably not as 
bad as you might think, but it's probably a net negative considering our tremendous amount of money spent on the military and where else that could be spent. So we're missing a large amount of the marginal benefit that could be had from that. So there's there's money, and then there's when when an empire is at war, I think the domestic policy just gets more and more tyrannical as well. We have the Patriot Act. We have spying agencies. It's. I think there. I think it's just a total. It's all bad. <laughs> I don't think. I don't think I benefit at all from foreign policy. Uh, from from our farm from uh, constant war. We've been at war like what is it, like seventy percent of our lives now. I think we're all about the same age. Yeah, that's. I would agree. I mean, but you know, there's also other things that come from war, like innovation and and the sale and production of a whole multitude of other things that fund these efforts. And I, I'm certainly not advocating or meaning to say that I, I support our foreign policy. I'm only saying that it is that way that it is because it helps the corporations in this country. So we can go back to the the innovation thing. That's interesting because that's an economic outlook on it. Um, there's a there's a old uh, essay by Frederick Bastiat that says the scene. I think it's called the scene in the unseen, and it's it's interesting the way people interpret economic events. So what you just said was like we get innovation out of war. What is seen is the innovation that we got. And what is unseen is the innovation that we would have got if we didn't spend it on war. Mm. And so, so the, the good economist as like, compared to what, like we got innovation compared to what, yeah. and, and it, we, this gets really controversial when you start talking about NASA, cause <laughs> uh, everyone attacks me when I start talking about NASA. Yes, we got amazing technological advances coming out of NASA. What you don't see is all the things that people would have spent their money on if it wasn't being stolen from them and given to NASA. <laughs> and it could be, it could be any, I mean, who knows, maybe it's new farming techniques and people would be fed more or, or medicine, maybe medicine would be better. Uh, you can't know because it's, it's unseen, but all people focus on is what is seen. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think that this is an essential question of our, like, so capitalism is really good at allocation of resources and putting money where it's going to be most useful. And Agree. How, high five. And how, how do you, it is, I mean, that's, that, that's the reason why it's lasted as long as it has. And, you know, Winston Churchill said, you know, it's not a, it's not a perfect system, but it's the best we have. Well, I think he said that about democracy, right? <clears throat> I don't know. I'll be a fact checker. I'll be the fact checker. Um, <laughs> so the question is, you know, how in a more leftist society, I'm going to use that term now to, to sort of lump in socialism, communism, sort of collective idea, um, how do you maintain that level of efficiency of allocation of resources, putting the money where it's most needed? And I think that that is completely achievable. Um, <laughs> I would not necessarily call myself a capitalist. Or I'm sorry, a communist. I don't think that the state should be own the mode of production. I think that the workers should. 
Uh, and I think that, that you can have a, a capitalist version of that. I think that that's essential. I think that's the next step, which is why I, I closely align with Bernie Sanders. Uh, is that um, uh, syndicalism where the, the workers own? Have you, is this familiar to you? <laughs> it's been a long, I, I, I've gone these rabbit, down these rabbit holes like probably 10 years ago. So I'm speaking from a lot of, uh, so a lot of the terminology I might not be uh, quite as up to date on. Yeah, I could, I could be wrong. I think it's, I think it's, um, there's, there's anarcho syndicalists. So people who think there should be no government. Um, I think I'm getting this right. I'm not one of them, but, uh, no government. And then the workers get a say in, in every, like they get, how do I say this? They get voting power in, in whatever company they're running or like if they're in a factory, the thing is, I think, I think a lot of that is kind of outdated um it's not really like there's the guy with the top hat who invested in the factory and then there's all the workers and he's outnumbered uh 500 to one and he makes a thousand percent more than everybody else i think that's kind of an outdated view now uh i think that's why we that wouldn't be very efficient i mean there's the person at a higher level management that has been spending the last, you know, in the United States, 40 hours a week looking at facts, figures, where to buy shit from. And, and you know, if you're going to ask your average worker, well, buy it from my friend Joe. You know, <laughs> there's not, that wouldn't necessarily work either. Like, I think that that specialization is important. And some people are going to be better at managers and some people are going to be better at, more remedial tasks. Your people in your wheelchair that I'm apparently better than is according to Jen. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel terrible that I, <laughs> the way I just crudely answered like, yes, <laughs> to that question. I did. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you truly feel I, terrible or you just feel awkward that other people listening are going to think that you're terrible? That might be more accurate <laughs> because I know what I meant. <laughs> but i mean so i guess really like what 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 one of my again it's such a multifaceted since, since we're talking about such huge systems and and one piece of each of that system affects the other so dramatically it's it's difficult to speak about how you should implement change especially when it's a function of time and the progress of that society, it becomes really kind of convoluted to where to start even to begin to like, so you have to pick a direction. And my direction is that I believe people would be most free, not under a completely free market system, because as we, as we've seen through history, that that does not lead to freedom. You know, the, the unions were born out of necessity because people were not free they weren't they they had to eat and the only jobs that were available to them were shitty jobs where you lost your foot because it got frozen off in a factory i mean that that's not freedom to me i don't think that a completely free system is what would benefit the people most nor lead to a completely free. so i think that a more communally owned system of motor production is the only way to get there at least at least in the near future and sort of based off that principle, I think that by and large, most there, there's no real reason to pay one person more than the other. 
And I like Ooh. to use the extreme example <laughs> of why would a neurosurgeon get paid more than a trash collector? Uh, supply and demand. Supply and demand, and 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 also <laughs> that they spent probably a quarter of a million dollars at least investing in that education and deserve a return on investment. Well, that's because they knew that there would be a reward at the end. Absolutely. If, if they didn't, Absolutely. if they didn't know, they wouldn't. So have now went you have through. people going into professions based off only the possibility of reward, which is not a really great really efficient allocation of resources that's not going to lend itself to having the most the most qualified or the most the best person for the job which will ultimately lead to a diminishment of productivity which if we're talking in economical terms is is the enemy i i you lost me in that that last step there Uh, you're saying um if people are searching for jobs based off nothing more than the return that they're going to get from that job the money that, that it can give them you're not going to have the people who are most passionate or most talented necessarily achieving those positions you're inevitably going to end up with the not most qualified person in those positions which will lead to a diminishment of productivity i'm not i'm not seeing how you how you're jumping to the if say so say if I'm poor and I can't afford to go to, 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 to school to become a neuroscientist, but you are, but I'm extremely passionate about neuroscience and I have this innate gift for it, the society is losing out by me not being able to pursue that passion. Even okay. though you take that position and you fill it, I would have been better at it than you. And society's system, capitalism, has prevented me from becoming the best person that I can be, the most productive person as we're defining it right now. So, going back to how all these systems are interrelated, if school was free, (laughs) then I would be not only free, but I actually got paid to go to school because I think that you should get paid to go to school because really what you're doing is bettering yourself so that you can enter into a workforce and be the most productive version of yourself, which will ultimately lead to the most productive society, which will lead to the most benefit to the most people. Do you agree that, well, who should pick up the tab for paying? Do you mean, are you talking like young children all the way up should be paid to go to school? It doesn't really matter, but for this, I would see no problem with that. Um, who who picks up the tab? The taxpayer. So, so what is seen is all of these kids getting paid and they're learning, and what is unseen is what the taxpayer would would be otherwise spending their income on, which I think in this case would be things that supply jobs and more opportunities for these these children who are getting educated when they get out of school. There would be more opportunities. I think, I think when you... Trying to... I think when you try and divert where resources go, you, you are necessarily 
causing a loss of value in the society because it's I think you're absolutely correct. I think that that does happen. Okay. I think that that happens. I mean that that is that is that is a problem that needs to be addressed. Yep. However, so 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 don't you think so I mean so not doing that, don't you think that would offer more opportunities for these children to decide for themselves? I I keep saying children, it's really anybody who wants to get educated. I think that it depends on the situation. I think that that education has such a profound impact on society that you would gain a multiplying effect by the money that is put into these systems. I think that 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 is true in a lot of other instances. So I think that there is another factor here because, as you said, there's there's um as you as you change one thing, other things change, so it gets really complicated. When you divert tax money to any industry, in my opinion that industry necessarily becomes it provides a less valuable service absolutely i mean i think that you can take a look <laughs> at the agricultural sector for a, a pretty dramatic ex, uh, example of that where we've subsidized the agricultural sector and what we've come up with is really shitty cheap food and mostly corn and and yeah, at the expense of what else that could have been spent on. Um, so I'm not saying that, that that idea is null and void or it doesn't exist and that's not a problem that should be considered and addressed when allocating resources. But I, I think that there are certain things that you can take money and inject it into and see a net benefit that you would have than other, because other people, unfortunately, are not really great at spending their money. <laughs> It's true. Yes, yes. I'm but, not saying they shouldn't have so, the right to spend their money how they see fit. I'm just saying that it's it's at least in in current times it's completely reasonable to say we're going to take a very small percentage of your money and put it to a collective good. But also with that said, I think that it's important to consider the fact that wealth has inertia or like mass to it. So the people who are better off will be the only ones that benefit from a truly free market society because that money that the wealth that they already hold is going to have all other wealth sort of gravitate towards it. And then it becomes too clumped up to have I, benefit to the, the masses. So this is the, the prime disagreement between the right and the left. I, I think it's the opposite. I think, I think the wealthy and powerful in a free market will lose their place on the totem pole more quickly. It's not, I think when you have a government that has the power to tax and subsidize, they necessarily in every society that we've ever built up a, a giant regulating government, the, the, the people on top will rent the services of the state in some way or other. And I know like, I know the new, wave of Bernie Sanders the whole thing is like get money out of politics but I don't think it's I don't think it's ever po I don't think it's possible they're going to find some backdoor way to to bribe politicians to get to Amazon is going to write laws that the politicians are going to pass and those those laws are going to entrench Amazon as the the leader in the industry by the way one of those laws is minimum wage uh, there's a reason why Walmart and McDonald's are for a minimum wage. <laughs> Not to, I just threw another concept at you, but <laughs> yeah, there's there's a couple of concepts there. I mean, on the uh, on the political finance question, I I'd say that while I, I kind of fl flutter a bit, but 
my conclusion is that Citizens United, while troubling, um, might not have been a terrible way to go. But I think that if you're going to have corporations be able to dump unlimited amount of money into politicians' pockets, that that should be made 100% transparent. So let them do it, sure. But make sure that everybody can see every dollar that is spent by a corporation going to a politician so you can see where what policies which which sectors of the market are going to be most benefited from that person's election i don't i don't think it's possible to make it transparent you you might be able to uncover i mean obviously you can uncover corruption here and there but i i've j- just having this there's there's like what is it like 500 people writing laws for 320 million people that are all getting taxed. Uh, these mega corporations, they got billions of dollars. All they have to do is bribe like like 10 of those people. <laughs> and they have to find some backdoor way to do it. And and maybe you'll catch like one of those 10 people. And, and probably, honestly, mostly the people won't care because they're too busy working 40 hours a week. And then occasionally watching... <laughs> CNN, which is a corporation <laughs> that <laughs> that probably is more entrenched in political affairs than than most other corporations. So I I, I don't think you said it on the show. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. I having 500 people write laws that affect 320 million people is just an insane amount of power but so you think you that can, the solution cannot... to that though is then to ha- like i mean but if, pa- if power corrupts don't you think that if you gave a free market like a truly just the hands-off free market system that that wouldn't lead to isolation of power and then thus corruption is as long as it's not political power if as long as Amazon doesn't have an army to attack mon pa shops and what they actually have to do to stay on top is provide value for the customers and employees because there's a balance uh then that's fine and also I don't think I, I don't like what Coca-Cola has been like a major corporation for like for like 200 years <laughs> that was slightly hyperbolic but I don't think you would see that. I think you would see smaller, more innovative, more efficient companies constantly overthrowing these these mega corporations. I don't think you would. Why you wouldn't why have would, these entrenched... Why would you think that anything would differ, like would happen differently than what's happening now? I mean, you have small companies that then sell out to the big companies that then continue on the cycle. No, they might. Uh, I I don't think you can say that they would sell out um, necessarily. Some of them would, but. I mean, if what, do you think Elon Musk would? I don't know. I don't. I can't see someone like him like selling his company, especially if he has the foresight to see that he could he could take over. Like, if you have the possibility. I mean, but to, didn't didn't he get rich by selling his company? <laughs> okay, I, I just tried to pick someone who's like a huge. Uh, go get go getter and is very idealistic and 
would not take the money. I mean, isn't he also now as a fairly, you know, a, a, a buying small companies and funding them through startup companies and being like, come work for work for free and enjoy this beautiful working space and I'll own your intellectual property rights at the end. But wasn't he an advisor to Trump for a minute? I don't know. I, I didn't. I feel like we're getting caught up in the specifics because I didn't. I don't know a ton about Elon Musk. I just. I just knew that he was already a billionaire, and then he like risked all his money to like start two more companies. So that's that's the, like the kind of thing I'm talking about. Uh, some people, like me, for example, uh, I would love to have some kind of small business and what not worry about scaling it. Be? Um. I would sell paper to bigger companies. Are you is this are you just making an office joke or is this for real? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that was a joke. <laughs> no, I I I actually want to start my own Muay Thai gym at some point. Nice. I have to keep getting better in the time being now though. But anyway, so I got my gym. Um I would not want to sell out Especially if I'm like early, if I was like 35 and I got a nice profitable gym going, I I would not sell out to the the karate gym out of out of pride because karate is useless. Yeah, but but under under a capitalistic society, that's you're you're not you're not winning the game. Like that's not that's not what the system is set up to influence most people to do. I, mean, I, I no, I disagree with that. I, it, I think it's true. In, it's true partially because of what I was alluding to earlier, where most people don't wind up in the professions that they're actually passionate about. So you're doing something just for the pure sake of making money. There's absolutely no incentive to not sell out. They they have a. I I disagree that I I think you have more opportunity to make a choice when when things are running more efficiently. You you can you have more opportunity like that's absolutely think, true. But there's other ways to make it more efficient <laughs> than to to say you know major corporations I, can control us all. I, that's not what I want. <laughs> well, I mean, even with that said, though, I mean, I think that I think that there is something said to scalability. I mean, I think globalization is inevitable. I think that the the services that Amazon offers are pretty fucking spectacular. I mean, who would have thought? You know, I guess they probably did think, but it's pretty impressive that. Amazon can get you anything in the world in two days. I mean, these are these are benefits that are mind-boggling to conceive of that have become reality. And, and I don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong with that, but I do think that there's something wrong with the isolation of wealth and that leads to a whole bunch of problems, social problems. And I think that that's really what we're seeing today is all these things coming to fruition, all these social problems as a result of any equal wealth. And really, I mean, it, a lot of it boils down to education. You know, we have a hugely uneducated population. Like in Philadelphia, the graduation rate for high school is like below 50%. I mean, that's, and if you think Sounds that like privatizing a... school would fix that, it it, it probably yeah. would. There would just be a whole shitload <laughs> less people going to school to begin with. So yeah, the graduation oh. rates might go up, but eighty percent of the kids wouldn't have gone to school to begin with. Who's to say that necessarily? I don't know about eighty percent. I think 
I think the vast majority of people would get education in some way on their own and and without being forced to without compulsory education laws. I was going to say you're very interesting to talk to because you you actually concede way more stuff than like the average socialist that I talk to, not to give you a, a label. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, because because there's points to every argument. I mean, there's reasons why these, right. these these positions exist. I just don't think that. I think that people oftentimes take a, a truth that exists in one facet of an argument and then try to expand it to different areas. Like, and and that that leads because it sounds nice. It fits easily within our minds to be like, well, you know, this thing happens. Therefore, this thing is either bad or good. And right. it's more situational than that. Like. Yeah, the government policy and subsidies are a huge fucking problem right now, and they're mostly driven by corruption and and backhanded deals of, well, give this person this sweet contract and these subsidies, and and yeah, that's a serious fucking problem. The solution to that is not to say free market. (laughs) Okay, so uh, hypothetically, we uh, everyone this everyone in the U S listens to this podcast and I convert everybody to a free market anarchist and everybody quits their government jobs. There's no government anymore. All the buildings are sold off. What does Amazon do as the, well, we'll just, we're just using them because we're going to say they're on top right now of the retail industry. What do they do to, that would be nefarious or, what they would, uh, what I mean, they would eventually did, do, yeah. and I'm not saying it would happen instantaneously or overnight, but what eventually would happen would be what would always happens, which is that, yeah, they might, they might advocate for $15 an hour for minimum wage until all their competitors are squeezed who? out of the market and then drop that wage dramatically because you don't have anywhere else to go get a job now. Yeah, but what happens when you drop the wage? <laughs> Everybody is, gets paid less. And then, and then you're saying- No, 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 no. Then, then the then the smaller guys can come in and offer more. No, because this there's not the... there's not any smaller guys left. That's what Walmart's did. What Walmart currently has done is that they've built so many WalMarts over the entire country that all these mom and pop shops no longer exist, and now they're closing half their stores. So now you I have to they... drive forty five minutes to to. And if you don't think that wouldn't happen with wages. You're crazy, and it wouldn't. You can't just at that point expect no. people who are now getting paid seven dollars an hour to say, "Oh, let's take my no, no, meager no. savings that, you know, and risk it on starting well, a company." That at which point listen. Amazon <laughs> can then just hire their wages again and steal all your workers, and yeah, you know, like all right. Here, here's where the error is, in my opinion. I think Walmart gets to open so many stores because of all of the regulatory <clears throat> regulatory pressure. And the barriers to entry in the market that are caused by the government. Uh, okay, so, so so a fact to your point for our listeners who might be unaware, you make you do make a good point in that one of the one of the problems with Walmart is that we're actually subsidizing their workforce. Yeah, through, through the that. through the welfare state, which is a huge yep, fucking but- problem. <laughs> I agree. Like that that is not you know that, but that again to. To, to go back to what I was is not a problem with a welfare state as a concept. It's the problem with the way that it's implemented. But someone, was it, I, I just read that um, uh, some state just passed a, um, passed a law that, that gets rid of the welfare cliff. So it's not, so it's like, 
I'm just making up numbers. Like if you make, if you work a, just one part-time job and you make fifteen thousand uh, dollars, you, you, you can be on welfare. But then it's a certain point, like you get to thirty-two thousand dollars and you lose all your welfare. So there's no incentive to try and like gain yes. skills and stuff. That's that's the welfare cliff. Uh, a state just got uh, got rid of it by, unfortunately, in my opinion, by adding more welfare, where they they slowly take away your benefits as you as you move up in your own income. I mean, I think that's a that's a that's, that's one solution to the problem for sure. I think I think that's better than having a cliff, so you're disincentivizing work. Um, I think that another solution that I think is interesting and has been explored recently in uh, some some more, I believe, one of the Scandinavian countries is the idea of a universal income, where each individual, <laughs> each adult individual, gains say a thousand dollars a month. Um, which sounds crazy at first, right? Just, like just picking that, it out of a hat. That on that, that on face value sounds a little insane, but there are tremendous economic value to that because it's it's a direct injection of capital. Now, I mean, I think disagree. about it. But think about it in the terms it's of the, not... pr- the principles that you've aligned here. Now, that person has a thousand dollars in their pocket. Now, that's <laughs> taken from somebody who doesn't necessarily is not going to be investing that back into smaller businesses. Nope. going to be. There, so completely, that person, that person goes and buys food at Wawa, at you know all these other smaller stores. They then it's, see a profit, which then gets turned over and turned over multiple times, and the money multiplying effect and all that kind of fun stuff. You're, you're but using, what, but what it does is investing wrong. But what it does is is <laughs> it eliminates the necessity for somebody to choose a shitty job, so they can hold out for, and it forces companies to higher their wages because no people are no longer so desperate that they need to take these terribly awful jobs that pay jack shit. It gives them the freedom to. F word freedom to go out and <laughs> and and pick a job that they find fulfilling and are more productive at. Are you in the Yang Gang? I don't know what that means. <laughs> you just you just outlined Andrew Yang's uh, main point. He's a, another Democratic candidate. There's like uh, 58 of them, if you haven't noticed. Uh, and he picked the number. I don't. Maybe you got it from the same place. He's he wants to give everybody a thousand dollars. Um, okay. So no, I think you, okay. So you said this thousand dollars is going to go to, to presumably worse off people. And then you said they're going to invest it. Not necessarily worse off people. I think it should go to everyone. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, but you were saying like, it's, it's, it's going to be taken from somebody, right? (laughs) It's going to be taken from everyone and go to everyone. Just a disproportionate amounts. Right, but the end effect is the the people with the highest income are going to lose money, and the people with the lowest income at cer- at Correct. some point, depending on how you okay. Correct. But what you said was the people who are getting the money are going to invest it somewhere. No, else. they're not going to invest it; they're going to spend it. R- okay, <laughs> that's that's an important difference because spending consumes resources, and investing creates resources. And I, what you're doing with UBI is you're on net taking away from people who are investing and producing wealth, and you're giving it to people who are If that consuming was wealth. true, then, <laughs> then that point would be more legitimate. But that is not true. I mean, you have people like speculation in the marketplace is not spurring innovation. Like, 
you know, betting on companies failing is not causing an increase in resources. Do you think that's what millionaires and billionaires are doing? Absolutely. At large? Do you think they're speculating? Yes. I think that they put it into, I think they pay other people to speculate for them, but sure, absolutely. It's what hedge funds are all about. There's a lot to unpack here because there's a lot of things you can actually put your money into. Sure. <laughs> sure. I mean, but so, I mean, I think that, that 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 plays nicely into into a lot of the things that you've been saying where you have a large number of people that now can put money back into the economy where they want it to go. So you still would see like a sort of down the line you know the companies that are are the best companies theoretically in a free market gaining more money because more people have more money to spend but they're spending it on they're they're spending it on consumption correct it depends it depends on how much money you give them but yeah which which removes the total the it shrinks the pie I don't, I don't, I don't think, I mean, in capitalism in general, I mean, you need the higher, the amount of consumption, the better the society is doing, you know, and that's even, that's even exactly how we measure it in terms of GDP. I mean, yeah, I don't, I, I think that's a terrible way to measure it. (laughs) I would agree. Um, I don't think I I can't really come up with a better one, but yeah, there's, so I'm I'm trying to, I'm trying to nail this down. Do you agree with the statement consumption drives the economy? Yeah, I would say it's 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 a, it's a driving force. I think there are other driving forces. I think consumption, investment. Well, the thing is, like, I've been hearing my whole life, like, we're our economy is based on consume, like, we're a consumer economy, and the more people consume, the better our economy does. Yeah, but I think. That's kind of a weird way to put it because there is no consuming without saving and investing first. So you can't you can't really say that our economy is based on consuming when consuming is based on saving and investing. There are definitely two sides of the same coin. I mean, and 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 I think they should be kept relatively separate if you want to get into the whole savings and loan versus investment banking debacle. Uh, <laughs> It's a whole other rabbit hole to go down. Uh, but yeah, I think that, that Thanks. those, those two are definitely interrelated. And that is a fundamental problem with capitalism is they're, it they're is not. essentially a gigantic Ponzi scheme where if people stop consuming, which we need to have happen for the environment, then everybody's fucked. Cause there's no more consuming. There's no more savings can- and investment. I think the the tr- f- where you brought up the environment. I think the true solution for that is on the supply side of it, where over time you get more output using less resources, um, and that that's not that really, that's part not of the really, equation you, that you're because you're talking about an increase in technology, which then requires investment. I mean, yep, that that is <laughs> it's not a great solution because what's going to happen is we're going to strip the world of all of its resources until they become too expensive to to operate and and because capitalism is set up as it is there's not going to be something to stop it before it gets to a tipping point which we're seeing now there's no there's quickly... absolutely no incentive to be like maybe i should 
you know, do something that's going to go against market forces, which in this case leads to over-consumerism because we have cheap goods produced that we don't actually need, that are of low quality, that are able to be thrown away because it's convenient for the consumer on the demands. I mean, I think it's a problem. I mean, and I don't think it's necessarily on the supply side or the demand side. Like, you can change consumers' viewpoints, and, and I think it's a systematic problem that's rooted in capitalism. You know, again... There's still a whole better way to go about this than this whole, you know, you can say, well, all right, let's, let, you know, like, but at the end of the day, it's still feeding into a system that's only going to erode the environment, lead to overconsumerism, and destroy our inner values. Because <laughs> it all becomes about being better than the person, having, not even being better, having more shit more meaningless, useful shit because I'm so neurotic and I need some sort of dopamine fix that I'm going to go out and buy a whole bunch of shit that I don't need because I've been working 60 hours a week because I think that I need to get to the next level. But you agree they should be able to do that? Do what? They should be able to uh, go after things that that are not actually good for them that they erroneously think I do. I do think that they have that right. I think because I think you, a lot of people, I right. think a lot of not definitely not you, but I think a lot of people have the impulse that they just know everything what's what's better for everybody, and they and they want to to force it on everybody in in some way. I think that's I think that's the majority of people. I I would agree with that. I mean, I think that that could even they could even be right. I mean, not the majority, but I think that that you know. Can I jump on that to sure. ask um, an an example of of you doing that was back in the day that that you wanted to inform I was... the good people about the merits oh, of atheism, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this was a you were you were very committed to the cause and you were great at explaining why it was important to enlighten people to the the good the good way of atheism, and uh, but apparently. You've changed your ways. I want to know everything about this whole journey. I want to know your point of view then, your journey, your point of view now. Okay. You can hijack your own show. I get it. Um, <laughs> you can take no, it back to politics. <laughs> that just seemed like I definitely no, no. want to ask that. And it was about thinking you uh, know what's best for people. But I thought you would. you did a great job of knowing what was best for people in that regard. Ugh. Ugh. That kind of makes me cringe now. <clears throat> I mean, I never had the balls to do that. I never. But well, okay. It all started <laughs> when I was like 11 years old. Um, I was I was loosely raised as Roman Catholic. Uh, I went to uh, we called it church school. It wasn't like. I didn't go to a Catholic high school. I went, it was like, you go on Sunday or something. Was it Sunday? Yes. I don't even remember. It was Sunday. Yeah, Sunday after church, I think. I don't even remember. I stopped doing it when I was 16. Anyway, I kind of naturally, when I was when I was young, way younger, like, like eight, nine, I was like totally like, obviously, I totally believed everything, uh, like, and God and, and the whole Why religion. Why obvious? Just, I became an atheist when I was eight, so clearly I'm better than you. 
That's true. Would you still uh, consider yourself an atheist, Jen? Oh, <laughs> uh, whatever. Trevor's really annoying about this definition. Let's not go there for now. We can get there okay. later. Okay. So, anyway, when I was when I was eleven, and, yeah, eleven, I just like had this thought. I was like, these stories they're telling me are kind of weird. Like Abraham, like it, it sounds like all of the other stories that I know are false. Um, and then so I I just had this like instant skeptical thought like just because adults are telling me something doesn't mean it's true and then so like i was like whoa i don't know what i believe anymore and then i I called myself agnostic for a little while and then hilariously um one of my religion teachers said um because they wanted to warn us about the atheists uh he was like he said he's like I used to be an atheist. An atheist is something is someone who believes that math and science solves everything, and I don't believe that anymore. And and the instantly when he said that, I was that. like, boom! <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, I know, right? To incite and, fear. Well, well, he like he was saying like it, math and science isn't enough, and, that, and but right when he said that, I was like, okay, I'm an atheist. That uh. that sounds way more plausible. So <laughs> I lived the next uh, the rest of my life as as an atheist and, and, then, um, and then you died and then I died <laughs> and nothing happened. So, so I really adopted, I guess maybe later in high school and, and throughout college and slightly after college. So like 17 to like 22, um, I really adopted this view that was really, I didn't know who Carl Sagan was at the time, but, uh, his quote, um, if it can be destroyed by the truth, then it deserves to be destroyed by the truth. You didn't know and that so, quote when you got started at 17? No, I didn't. I didn't. I know that now. You, you uh, definitely knew Carl Sagan. I didn't. I didn't really. I, I think I think around college is when I first heard about Carl Sagan. So I was already. So anyway, I, I, like. For me. I was like, really, there's there's clearly no reason, like there's no math and science reason to believe in religion at all. Um, and so I thought it needed, like, I can't, like if we're living in a society where people believe something that, that there's no reason to believe it, then that's like some bad things are going to come out of that. So it was really a, a, for practical reasons, I was like, I need to talk as many people out of being religious as possible, which I think is kind of silly now. Why? I don't know. Because math and science isn't everything. What What else is there? I think there are elements of the human psyche that can only be described in religious terms and can only be understood that way. Well, so how do you I, define your beliefs now? I am most accurately described as an atheist, I would say. All right. Now Trevor can present to you his definitions on our, our argument. And Eric, hopefully you can argue on my behalf because <laughs> you're much better at, uh, talking about this stuff than I am. 
I will be your champion. I appreciate it. Unless, unless I disagree with you. <laughs> I don't. I've. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> you don't even know me anymore. <laughs> I mean, well, well, yeah, I don't. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that you're still an atheist. I would be frightened. I'm just if... not an asshole anymore. Really? Not at all. I. <laughs> in in no categories. I'm less of an asshole. Okay. <laughs> I'm a I'm a Mitt Romney conservative Christian now. Oh, okay. You fit right in your surroundings. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I'm trying to find a quote. Do you want to tell people where you're looking for this quote? This is a chapter in Alcoholics Anonymous called A Letter to the Agnostics. In it, it is, it is, I recommend everybody read it because I think it is the single best argument I've heard for uh, the existence of a higher power or the belief that, to being open to the belief of the existence of a higher power. Um, because I, I had a similar journey, I'll just start there. Uh, I went to Sunday school and was very involved in my church. Uh, it was a fantastic church. It was uh, Episcopalian, it was a very liberal branch of Christianity. We had uh, we were the first sect of Christianity to have gay and women ordained ministers. Um, wow. Yeah. My my church sent me to Guatemala and to Scotland. Uh, it was really a fantastic institution, but I probably around the same age as you started to question a lot of the things that were I was being told, uh, the rigidity of like, okay, I get these are stories and these stories have, have a meaning and, and, and value can be derived from them, but like you guys are kind of taking it overboard. What the fuck's going on here? <laughs> so I started to describe myself as an agnostic. At 16, I was given the choice to get confirmed uh, in Episcopalian. Uh, as Episcopalian, I have the option later in life than, say, in Catholicism, where I think you get confirmed at, like, age 12 or even earlier or some shit, which is crazy to be like, confirm your belief in this person when you don't even know yourself at all. I mean, I think 16 is even still young. So I was like, ah, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know where I believe in any of this. And I therefore am not going to stand in front of you all and lie. So I'm opting out. Sorry. Um, left. Uh, so went just to please my mom for a bit. Um, then went down some rabbit holes. Uh, I've always admired faith. I think that faith has a power and, uh, a calming element to it that whether or not whatever you have faith in is is real doesn't necessarily matter it's the faith alone that can you can derive benefit from um so i've always kind of admired people of faith if they practice their faith how i wanted them to mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and you know, then then you start to look at religion more critically, and religion and faith, I I completely think should be talked about separately. I think that religion as an institution has the same fundamental problems that we've been talking about for the first half of this uh, podcast. Um, in that power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and these are institutions that are not at all excluded from that principle, um, and they've just become tools to control the masses and. Um, you know, on a micro scale, religion can be great and beneficial, but on a macro scale, it's done more harm than good. Um, and that was always hard for me to reconcile. Um, 
I think that faith should be a very personal, very inward-looking journey into what it is to be a moral individual. Um, and I, I would have always sort of considered myself agnostic. Um, I believe we don't really know. We don't really know if there's a God out there or if there is not a God out there. I'm not even sure how much it matters. But given the fact that we don't know, I'm going to choose to believe that there is a higher power out there that has that is that is somehow a manifestation of all that is good and loving in this world. And that to me seems like the most logical choice to make. You can say that science explains everything, and that's fine. It certainly tries to, and it should keep trying to. And I don't think that it should be at odds with religion or a higher power at all. I think that God would always shine truth onto light, light onto truth, and dispel any falsehoods if that was. I think it's the way that people practice their religion is the problem. Uh, but given the fact that the idea that this whole I'm going to paraphrase the quote that I could not find, that this whole universe exploded into existence out of nothing and is spiraling nowhere is just as absurd as a belief that there was a higher power that created everything. And given the fact that we have no way of knowing whether either of those is correct, why on earth would anybody not choose to believe the latter? Hmm. So it, it's kind of like Pascal's wager. Well, no, it's not really because I think Pascal's wager is kind of like a threat. <laughs> it's like you better believe in God because if you don't, something terrible might happen for eternity. But wow, it's I mean, I, there's there. Uh, Jen, do you think there's anything objectively wrong that he said? Because I think he's. No. I don't. I don't think he's even making an argument. He's kind of making an an observation, and it's really hard to. I mean, I can't. I don't. I, I don't see a problem. I don't see a, a way I can say your observation is wrong. No, no, I totally agree. I, where <clears throat> where we run into trouble is with uh, linguistics. Of he thinks that the definition of atheism is like invalid, and also. Uh, I, one of our, our biggest arguments ever is when I re referred to, I was like, made him watch whatever Ricky Gervais speech or something where Ricky is explaining <laughs> that the burden of proof is on the person trying to prove something. And Trevor thinks this is the most inane argument ever and uses it against me when he's trying to be like, you're, you're being a, like bullshit right now. Like, oh, no burden of proof or something. So, uh, Yes, for me to, I think, yeah, the, in linguistics, I think it is very hard to accurately say that I don't believe in God doesn't mean that I believe for sure I'm saying factually that there is no God. I just don't believe there is a God, and he, he has a lot of... Uh, he doesn't appreciate this definition. And uh, I, I, I've run into a lot of people who say that's agnosticism saying, and I'm like, because of course I don't know for sure there, this isn't, this isn't testable. And they're like, well, therefore you're agnostic. And I'm like, no, but I, but I don't, I don't believe, I don't believe that there is a God. 
I but all this being said, the way you guys were both talking and phrasing things over the past few years, I've certainly come around to, I guess, believing, although not thinking about it too much, that the most likely scenario is a computer simulation scenario, and therefore <laughs> that is a higher power situation. Do you, do you believe that uh, you weren't being um, facetious? You believe that it's it's most likely that we're in a simulation. Yes, because I, I'm I haven't done a lot of research into it, but I mean, what research could I really do? I guess <laughs> what I'm saying here is like people I trust as as the leading scientists in the world right now, who I agree with the things that I do understand enough on, um, like uh, what's his name, Neil Neil deGrasse Tyson. He and Elon Musk. These are both the two of the main proprietors of the belief that life is a computer simulation, and two of the greatest scientists alive ever. Um, so I feel like if they think so, it seems pretty reasonable. <laughs> uh, so I've been listening a lot to Jordan Peterson, and he is like an extreme pragmat pragmatist. Mm -hmm. Um. Have you guys listened to, you mentioned Sam Harris on the last one. Did you guys listen to those two talking about like the definition of truth? I don't know. His name sounds really familiar, but I'm not sure. Okay. Um, let's say the first four hours I listened to Jordan Peterson for the first time, I was like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? <laughs> it, he doesn't, they, he went on Sam Harris's podcast and they literally talked for like an hour and a half or two hours about like the definition of truth. Uh-huh. And, um, it, it, and it's amazing. It's amazing. Cause it took me back to my American philosophy class, uh, in college where <laughs> just real quick, it's like a rehashing of William James, who's the American pragmatist and William Clifford, who's, uh, an English, uh, rationalist. Sam Harris is the like extreme rationalist in this situation, and Jordan Pearson is the extreme pragmatist. So, at one at, at a point at, at a certain point, it like clicked, and I understood what Jordan Pearson was saying. Where where it doesn't matter what you say you believe. It really matters like what you act out how you act you act out what you believe so my question is well not my question the way i look at things like this i think the the pragmatist mindset is a really good tool um for this kind of thing where we're, we clearly can't know like like you said how can we know we're in a simulation how can we do that research well so my question is, Jen, how do you act in a way, do you act as if we're living in a computer simulation? Uh, I suppose so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, how, would, how, would, how would one's behavior change from the belief that they were living in a computer simulation? I mean, exactly. If, if anything, I think that, that could only be empowering of being like, well, then I know that there's these rules that then when adhered to can produce an outcome and therefore I can take that and 
live virtuously through that and gain what I want. Yeah. That sounds like mm. how I do life. The the other thing I apply this to is like the Sam Harris free will thing. I was going to say that. I think that there that you can look at him exactly the same way of being like yeah. does it really fucking matter? <laughs> so I mean, I it might it might be a cop out, but I I think I can appropriately appropriately say that I believe I have free will because there's no way to act what? as if I don't have free will. But you you're you were the person who introduced me to determinism. <laughs> Do you s- I, Yes. Um <laughs> I think so I, this this is I'm a compatibilist on that issue. Oh, okay. I think they're Go I on. think they're both right. I guess in, I, I guess I in okay. certain, depending on how you're looking at it. That that group that jives with me. I don't. Yeah, I, I'm not. I don't feel like they're exactly mutually exclusive. But. Well, circling back around, I mean, wouldn't isn't it more pragmatic to assume that there's a higher power out there that you can find solace in and power in? Why that <laughs> not, that doesn't resonate with me at all. I find I find solace and power in things that don't seem to be imaginary. I find I've been really into Carl Jung lately. Yeah. It it's almost like I mean, I'm still a, a novice. Um but we're having a guy on the podcast later this week who's who's like really been studying him and uh is teaching workshops on um like archetypes and Oh my god, this is I can't wait. Because this is this is what I've been researching in my free time. Forget libertarianism. This is so much more interesting. Yeah, I'm very <clears> excited. Yeah, he he offers different like workshops online. I I don't really know what it is yet, but we're interviewing him in a few days, so we'll we'll know more soon. I think you can. I think you can reconcile, or I think I can reconcile that there, because a higher power is is kind of um, open to interpretation. And I think for me, the collective unconscious that Carl Jung talks about is a very reasonable higher power to believe in. Um, what makes so, that higher? Like, so it's a power greater than yourselves. That... Yeah, this, the, these, these archetypal energies, again... That's cool. Have I believe in the collective unconscious. I guess, I mean, it's so, it's whatever. Definitions and especially definitions around religion are just, are so difficult because we all are using the same word to describe completely different things. And it's so hard for me to say God, to think God, to talk about God, to hear anyone else say God, because it's so loaded with all of this stuff that makes me feel completely reject it and turn away from it and think it's horrible but then yeah there are if well, you if you just say yeah good greater power of the collective unconscious none of that makes me cringe i'm it makes me open up to be fair i mean generally in our arguments i i very rarely use the term god i always use higher power uh, great spirit of the universe or... and i always say this to some extent of being like god is a trigger word like there's no way 
around it and even higher power it, it gets it now just you now eric saying higher power of collective unconscious i guess if we could assign <laughs> higher power to other things like the actual concept of a higher power is like seems obvious uh but higher power as god is <laughs> well so i think that i think that to quote um Josh Ritter, one of my favorite artists, who often uses religious vernacular in his songs and would not describe himself as particularly religious, is because they're loaded. And it's, you know, it's up to you to load them appropriately. Like, you don't need to accept somebody's definition of God, but it is, it is a handy tool for talking about these immense concepts that, you know, people have been pondering for since, since the dawn of existence, probably. And since they're so loaded, it sort of can can cut to the chase to use the terms that have been defined. But you know, those those definitions have been shifted and tainted and and twisted, and you know, but they're still for you to personally define for yourself. Absolutely. Uh, so back when I was a angsty atheist, <laughs> um, a lot of people would throw the argument at me like. I mean, if God isn't real, how come so many people in like all these different cultures, like even like uh, evolving separately from each other, meaning the cultures evolving, how come everybody has like some kind of like strong belief in God? And and, and I would almost cynically say like, well, I mean, that it, it just means there's something in our psyche that makes us want to believe in God. But I really said it in a negative way, like that there's some kind of glitch in our brain that makes us believe in God when there's no reason to believe in God. But now that I've been looking into Jung, I think I think the collective unconscious, the things that are coded in us, are being expressed. They're 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 projecting out of our unconscious in the form of religions of the world. Uh, yes, totally agree. And and that's that's not something to be cynical about. That's something if you want to understand yourself and you should, I think you should understand these these archetypal stories and understand what you personally are projecting onto other people and you should be looking at your dreams and seeing what what your unconscious is trying to tell you there and maybe oh, take God. psychedelics. So you can more, so they put it right. Have you taken psychedelics, Eric? I have not. I want to. I want to have. (laughs) Yeah, come here. That experience. I also am, uh, as a matter of, I think it's my personality. I really want to be cautious about it. Um, Why? What do you think your personality wouldn't go well with psychedelics? Or what is there to be cautious about? No, not that. No, no. I'm saying, I'm saying like, like. I really want to do my research before I do it. Um, I want to be positive that I'm not like, like I don't want to ask my friend to ask his friend to get me some psychedelics and, and just take them not knowing where they're com- coming from and how many bath salts they lace, like stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, I'm extremely risk averse. Start um, with mushrooms. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, mushrooms are pretty safe bet knowing exactly what you're getting. Um, I'd also say that, you know, at worst, you're going to get some analog of LSD and, and let's be real, we don't know a lot about any of it anyway, so what's what's, what's the real harm? 
Yeah. No, but I, start, start with mushrooms. <clears throat> I think they're much more in touch okay. with the collective unconscious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you yeah, if you the things you're talking about, I think mushrooms would go really well with, and they're they're a safe bet that you're getting what you're getting. But so, I think what's happening. I from maybe I'm wrong because I obviously I'm not a well nobody knows, but I think what's happening is your your unconscious is is being put right in front of your face when you take when you take uh psychedelics and that's why uh it can lead to bad trips i was just i was literally just thinking like the exact opposite thought of being like my unconscious is so much nicer than i am <laughs> well i feel like the way that it's generally yeah. talked about in the psychedelic community is this disillusion of the ego and that can be if, yeah, if you have a little cunt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's what that I can mean. Be, that can be a rough ride for some people. Um, that's what I mean. The the ego gets out of the way, and then all of the uh, the uh, other people that live in your head start to come out. And that's, I mean, it's <laughs> us. It's twofold. I mean, there's other people are often not even the problem. It's 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 your ego fighting back and saying no, no, no. I I like screaming as it's on its way out of like mm-hmm. you suck. And, <laughs> you know, that could be. Yeah, you know, but but the the what comes from that even like bad trips. I mean, some of my most profound like did most work on myself One have come of his from worst trips. Is what has made us live move to Thailand and has made all of our dreams come true essentially. So like right. I, I yeah I wouldn't necessarily be afraid of a bad trip, which is the best way to go in. Like all right, if a bad trip happens, you know what? It'll be over in three or four hours, and I'll come out of it with a profound understanding of who I am and who I was and who I can be. But I've never had a bad trip, and uh, it's all uh, it's, it's all just wise, wonderful people in my head. <laughs> Only my my ego. It, I, I don't know. I don't think it puts up much of a fight. It goes away fairly easily. But I think I've practiced a lot in my life to make it go away. But it's yeah, I don't know. But I think it's interesting. But, I mean, like, and I haven't really done any, a lot of research into arc, arc, archetypes. What what. M- what I thought they were was not necessarily what the podcast Jen and I were just listening to were about. I mean, they were kind of similar. It was kind of like you have these personalities, like the child within you. And, and it was really what I learned about it was in the terms of codependent relationships and how you take on these archetypes and, and they become dependent on one another. This is what you had previously learned yeah, about? Yeah, oh, that was my experience with that. Um, but I think what's interesting in the context of this religious conversation of I think that a lot of it's like, you know, for you asking God for forgiveness is when you realize that you have these different, different people in you or whatever, and some of them don't necessarily have values that align with your, you know, on surface psyche. That that can be hard to reconcile, and it it can be comforting to know that even that part of you is loved, rather rather than so then you can kind of you don't have to reject it anymore. You can say, wow, that's a part of me. And that's okay. Yes. But you need God to love it? It makes it the easier. It's me. it's a tool to say, you know, that... It, but it, it's And also, it depends on how you're defining God. I mean, if you're defining God as something that lives with inside of you, it's it's your accepting of yourself in that, in that context. I was saying that you're able to then love yourself because you're giving your permission. You know, it's, 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 it's sort of like a tricky way to get there, you know, and that... Some people need that. So has your journey to becoming less of an asshole been mostly incorporating the shadow? No. Huh. 
How? Uh, well, well, maybe, maybe indirectly, but I. Th- this is very. Uh, this is very recent. That you became less of an asshole, or that you became interested in Carl Jung. Probably both. Oh, okay. Probably both. Oh. Um, I stopped. So the reason, <laughs> the reason I stopped trying to convert everybody to atheism, <laughs> was because I took because i changed my political views and i was like holy shit the government is a thousand million times more dangerous than religion so all that energy just went into like trying to to convert people to (laughs) free market anarchy okay (laughs) so 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 that that was the start of it um and See my my ego is 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 being really resistant here <laughs> to letting you but talk. It, yeah, because but it, I mean it fits perfectly with the with your show which has come at a very interesting time cuz so many of your guests are talking about this theme of uh post traumatic growth. Oh uh, yes. Yes, what was your um incident or experience? What was your experience with post-traumatic growth um in the last 15 months i I lost three family members uh my dad my grandma and then my grandpa what yeah i'm sorry to hear that i'm sorry what i just talked to you like a minute ago did your grandfather just that must have been like in the last two weeks? Yes. Oh two my weeks god. Ago. Oh my god. Um the the first one was the hardest. Your dad? Yeah. Um I've always been as far as I can remember, I've always been kind of an anxious person. Uh my anxiety comes as like a a pit it's just a feeling it's just a pit in my chest and then like that will make me think some paranoid thoughts i know this doesn't sound related it's it kind of isn't but um uh after my dad passed away it it spiked up like unbelievably the the worst i've ever had in my life and um so I would, I was really trying to like rationalize it away because I was like getting anxious about things that didn't, obviously I think you have this experience too, that it didn't make any sense at all to be anxious about, mm-hmm. but it was like, it was borderline crippling, um, but not totally because I kept going to work and I kept going to the gym and like, so I, I've like pushed through it. And trying to trying to rationalize everything away completely just d- was totally ineffective. It didn't do anything. And so this was even before I started looking into Jung. Um, I it was clear to me more than ever that. I have, there are separate 
consciousnesses in my brain. This is literally true. Um, and I was really trying to find answers as to how to control them or try to get them to stop making me anxious. Um, what really helped was meditation. It was like instant. It, it was, I remember it was September, 2018. I had the, the worst anxiety in my entire life. And then the next month I, I started meditating and the next month it was almost completely gone. Wow. And so if anyone's interested, uh, I started doing the free version of Simple Habit, the app. Oh, part honestly, part of it is I deleted Facebook off my phone too. So I stopped looking for fights on there. <laughs> uh, so I deleted Facebook and downloaded two meditation apps. And now I pay and use the Sam Harris app. Nice. And that helps a lot. Uh, it's My anxiety is almost completely gone. It's it's amazing. but But I was still fascinated uh and wanted to know more and and finally like i got to i found a youtube video do you do uh do you do links in the show notes yes okay i'm gonna perfect because i'm gonna give you a link um it really jived with me it's i'm gonna look it up right now hold on So it's a video called The Archetype of the Warrior, How Films Empower Us All. Uh, the YouTube channel is Like Stories of Old. I'm going to keep this up so I remember to give you the link. Um, it, This video just like unbelievably resonated with me for some reason. Uh, they talk about like warrior, they talk about warriors in films, but then they reference this Jungian book called um, uh, King, Warrior, Magician, Lover. So those are the four masculine uh, archetypal energy types. So I bought that book. You can get it too by following the link that will give them money. Um, <laughs> You're the best. <laughs> and I read that book and now I just want to keep diving deeper and deeper into Jung. But I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it, it it sounds obvious that like yeah we, we've we've known this we have we have the ego there's my I think Sorry, that's, hold on Chewie is having an ego right now yeah that might be the the shadow it's <laughs> <laughs> coming out of um can you repeat your last two sentences I I <laughs> I don't know where I was um. So I got this the book King Warrior Magician Lover. I want to dive deeper into Jung as a result of it. It's I think it provided me answers. And and I think now I see my anxiety as that was 
Oh my god. <laughs> Jimmy's really feeling you here. He, Trevor's gonna go. Okay. I Chewie, think my Chewie's anxiety. The conversation. Yeah, yeah. It's my. It might be the. Yeah. <laughs> Chewie's your ego trying to not let you speak. No, I'm the ego. Chewie's the. Chewie's the uh, bipolar dysfunctional uh, warrior self. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Chewie. Now, now he's giving his daddy lots of uh, licks in the elbow. So that's his lover coming out. <laughs> All right. Sorry, um, go on. It's all right. It, it sounds obvious because because we all did like the basic Freud, I think, in school, and like there's the there's the conscious and the unconscious and the ego or whatever the id, and so like there's other, these other parts. When I was like paralyzed by anxiety, it was more clear to me then than ever that like something else is going on. Like there's. And and now I understand it is there was an archetypal energy that wasn't happy with with something I was doing. Would you mind what, maybe the, going into that like how that actually manifested? Like you mentioned paranoia. Like what type of paranoia? Um I I can go I can do some small examples. <laughs> I'm not, my ego won't let me go any further (laughs) than that. But like an example is like I was at work, I was doing work and like my boss like came in the room and, and looked at me and then looked down at his phone and I could not shake the, the stupid irrational belief that he was texting something about me and that I was about to be fired and like, and so like that would bother me for the, for like the next like 24 hours. Yeah. I mean, the and reason I why I ask is cause I can, I can totally relate and it's, it's interesting. It makes me want to read this book. Um, I, I too, usually after some sort of traumatic event would experience anxiety that would express itself as, as really peculiar paranoia of what sounds like a similar variety. And another one is, um, I was on my way to work. Um, I was so like, okay, I'm at a four way intersection. I turn left and in my rear view, rear view mirror, I see that I see two headlights come on like right as I turned and then they started going the way I was going. And, and in my head, I was like, what the, f-? he was waiting for me. Yep. And now he's, <laughs> now he's following me. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> and, and so now, and so now that like now, I think so. Our our unconscious has trouble um, ex- expressing itself, and I think the only way it can express itself really is to project itself onto things you're seeing in the environment. And I think that's what that was. I I don't think it's as simple as like that thing happened. And it triggered me. I think my unconscious was waiting for an opportunity to project itself onto events that were happening. And and so to bring this full circle, this is why I fully accept that math and science does not solve anything. Because there are irrational parts of my brain and everybody's brain 
that are controlling us more than we want to admit. And they're trying to make their way into our conscious and into our actions. And that, that became clear to me after my, the, the trauma of being there when my dad died and the following year and a half of projecting paranoia onto the world. And the main things that helped with this were meditation and yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting cause it, cause I thought they were, I thought anxiety and paranoia were the same thing. I thought they were cause they were always together with me, but I started meditating and the anxiety went away, but the paranoid thoughts were still there. So so it was strange because I was still having like the thoughts like, oh, that person's following me, but I didn't feel I didn't have that pit in my chest anymore. So yeah. that's better. <laughs> it's not. I, obviously, that's a huge step in the right direction. But I was like, I was like, that's I, I was fascinated with my own brain. Like, how come I'm still having these paranoid thoughts, but I don't get the the crushing feeling going along with it. Mm some kind of improvement. I think you're going to love drugs. <laughs> the, the right kind of drugs to be specific. Um, meth. <laughs> yep. yeah, yeah. Meth and Go coke. For a meth binger and you'll really think people are fucking violent. You'll know you were right all along. Um, <laughs> so, thank you for listening. <laughs> occasionally interesting. Meth will solve everything. Um, oh boy. I can't wait for that episode on with the 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 actual expert. Yeah, if there's any uh, questions you want us to ask him, please send them to me in the next couple of days. I think we're doing it on Friday. Okay, I'll I'll try and think of it. Cool. <sighs> I'll ask you. He has a podcast as well that I'll send to you. It's all about. It's specific. It's like he teaches. I don't know. This isn't going to be the right word, but like male male empowerment seminars through the channel of. Uh, Young and archetypes and sexual uh, inner power, energy channeling. <laughs> but like that, I mean that that I think uh, in a different way. That's what I do. I actually uh, I'm a trainer, a Muay Thai trainer now, not just a, a Practic- fighter. Practicer. Okay, fighter. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, I think I think that's what I do, and I think that's a more primary cause why I want to have my own gym is I want to, I want to help people access the warrior in them and, and make it fully realized as opposed to you'll read about it in the book. When you go to occasionally interesting.com at the show notes page. <laughs> You're the best. Um, so <laughs> I don't know how deep to go into it, but like, so for the warrior specifically, you can think of it. Well, I mean, it's all there and there's like diagrams, but (laughs) the, you can think of the warrior energy as a triangle and at the, the top is, is the warrior. And at the bottom are the two bipolar dysfunctional versions of the warrior. Um, the, the negative aggressive side is the sadist and the positive passive side is the uh masochist 
And so like you can think of that like as a, as a weakling who doesn't stand up for themselves as and then the other side is like the aggressive like someone who uses violence and intimidation on others to get what they want. Um Yeah, screw it. I can get into it. I think a large part of my childhood is being a victim to the sadist warrior. Uh, my dad was a Vietnam vet and he had PTSD and he was an alcoholic. And that is not the entirety of his personality. I loved him very much. But I think that is the the primary thing that I contend with. And I think in my life, the way the way I responded to that was to be at the other end of the bipolar dysfunctional warrior, which is the masochist. So I think I was, I, I acted out. I saw him. I was like, I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to throw irrational anger at, at people. So I'm going to be a weakling. I'm going to be harmless to everybody. And I think training Muay Thai helped me out with that access and make that warrior energy more positive because someone who can kick someone in the head is not harmless. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that they're harmful. It doesn't mean they're the sadist. So how, how do you think, so do you think that through the meditation and the exploring these different philosophical ideas, is that how you were able to grow from these traumatic experiences? Yes. Um, those dysfunctional energies in us, sometimes they just want to be paid attention to. And I think that's what you're doing when you're meditating. Uh. That's a good quote. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you done, uh, do you guys, do you both meditate? Well, we go through, we've go through phases. It's been an off phase though right, lately, but. Uh, have you, have you ever done the, the Sam Harris version? No, we keep talking about it <laughs> in the last two months or something. We keep saying we're going to download that one. I'll do it. I'll do it as soon as we stop this podcast. We did Headspace for a while, and then as soon as we started paying for it, we stopped doing it. Yeah, <laughs> um, and a, then we did it. It's a glitch in the psyche. Yeah, we did it at the Kung Fu retreat for a bit. Um, but Trevor's planning on doing a Vipassana to celebrate his 30th birthday. That'll be interesting. I've never done anything like that. I was never a big meditator. Hmm. So what you do when you download this this app is uh, you you hit play, and Sam Harris is like, "Okay, now say the word Trevor." Wait, like he says <laughs> he says that to me because he knows that's why I, my mantra already is. Did you listen he, to episode he, one? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did I ever tell you that when we were dating? Did you know that my mantra was my fifth no, grade boyfriend? I was a little I was a little disturbed by it though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no. Uh what Sam Harris is actually doing, the goal of his meditation is to 
is to break the illusion of the self, which sounds almost like stupid. Like, what could you possibly mean by that? Oh, no, that doesn't sound stupid to me at all. The first time Trevor or like early on when I was getting to know Trevor, I, I think I think I just brought it up randomly. I was like, hey, do you ever look into the mirror and intentionally disassociate? And he was like, uh, if I'm on mushrooms. And I'm like, no, no. But I was like, isn't this just a practice that, that people do? Just uh, look in the mirror until they no longer are associated with the, what they see in front of them. But apparently people don't do that. Do you? Have you? Not, No, not like that. Um, so I feel like I it's, gave you, it's really easy to disassociate me <clears throat> not to not like permanently well, so, to stay in that state well yeah <laughs> i don't mean so to... his his strategy is like is to it's not like to try and find a tranquil state it, all you're doing is uh, um, objectively viewing what is appearing in consciousness mm-hmm. and so through that like so if you're like sitting in the chair there's a bun- a whole bunch of different ways to do it but if you're sitting in a chair you can focus on the feeling of sitting like the pressure and stuff then you can like start to start to feel all of the pressures of me- of sitting as what they really are which is just a blob like a cl- he says a cloud you start to feel it as a cloud of sensation cuz you're not really you're not feeling your your legs on the chair. You're you're getting just these impulses, and your your brain automatically is inferring like the shape of your body from it. But what you're really getting is just a cloud of information, and you can start to you can start to feel that. And then at a certain point, you realize like the feeling that you are in your head is just it's not real. It's, it's just an illusion that you're creating. Um, you're not really in your head. You're just for practical reasons, you evolved to feel like you're behind your face. So, (laughs) and, and so that's what he means by breaking the, breaking the illusion of the self. You start to feel, um, what are the practical reasons that we learned that to believe that we're behind our face? (laughs) <laughs> so you can uh, walk over to the bush and, and collect berries off of it and eat it and stay alive. Oh, you're not trying to say that like our our self is really in our feet or anything. You're just trying to say the no, self no. anyway. No, it's just an illusion. You're just getting you're just getting information, and you're you're constructing every single bit of reality in the moment for practical reasons yeah. and you can let go of it. You can get off the ride and it can help you. It can help you with, I think that might be what's what happened with my anxiety is this, whatever it is, it's just something that's appearing in consciousness and I don't have to use my thoughts to perpetuate it and keep it going and go deeper and deeper into my paranoia or whatever. It's very interesting stuff. I think we and mentioned... somehow I think it maps on with the Jungian stuff, even though I don't think Sam Harris goes that far. Have you listened to Invisibilia? 
No. Uh, you should check out the thoughts. Uh, the secret history of thoughts. I think it's episode one, season one. It's fantastic. It's a fantastic podcast. At least season one's really good. Um, okay. You can find it in most of our show notes. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I think Reference I think it, it comes up at least once an episode. Um, <laughs> they talk about the different schools of thoughts that thoughts schools of thoughts about thoughts and what they mean <laughs> and what they what how much attention you should pay to them and there's a there's a quote from Jung I saved it because it resonated with me I'm bringing it up right now hold on this really resonated with me uh it's from the red book which is I mean, it's a whole, without going into too much detail, it's really freaking trippy because he was, uh, he, he was suffering from a, he suffered from a heart attack and he was, um, recovering and he like started to go into psychosis, but he used it. Like he did it intentionally to try and, uh, like listen to his soul and stuff and, and the, the other people in his head and, and the red book is what came out of it. <clears throat> One second. So I, yeah, I think this fits in with our discussion about religion and and Jungian archetypes. He says, "I thought and spoke much of the soul. I knew many learned words for her. I had judged her and turned her into a scientific object. I did not consider that my soul cannot be the object object of my judgment and knowledge. Much more are my judgment and knowledge the objects of my soul." And and there's a lot more, but that resonated with me because that's what I did for my whole life. Is I tried to I tried to look at everything as a scientific object object, and the soul is not something. You, the soul is what you're seeing things through, so you can't look at it objectively like that, scientifically, in my opinion. And that's what he's saying there. Thank you. you haven't done mushrooms yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, it's, I might be. I might be getting there without doing the actual drugs. I think that's the fair way to go about it. I yeah, I did that for many times first, but it is very very convenient to be able to just skyrocket to that place. It's right. it's very interesting. The brain is a and the soul are incredible playgrounds. I'm really curious if the 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 elf or gnome like person you see me as is not like my magician archetype, Ooh. like coming out, which yeah. I think definitely is the thing that I manifest most when yes on mushrooms. You, you I ha- agree. Yeah, it's an easy read. You have to. I th- that that's my answer to your question that you ask everyone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, that book. Okay. It, Good segue. It was it was a perfect opportunity to to plug some libertarian propaganda, but. I'll go with the more interesting stuff that your audience would like. Well, it's the book that has most affected your life, not the book that you would most recommend. It's hard to say because I just finished it. So it's like really affecting me now. But like For a New Liberty by Murray Rothbard had a pretty profound effect. It felt like my eyes were open for the first time and I could see the state for what it was for the first time. Wow. I read Ayn Rand pretty young and was like, hmm, interesting. 
<laughs> Talk about libertarians. Rothbard has a good quote where he says, because if, if we're being honest, people, most people have no idea what libertarian is. libertarianism is like in detail and they don't care because we're like 3% of the population and they just dominate us in the polls anyway. So it's because you guys <laughs> say crazy shit. Like let's end the fed. Uh, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, yeah. When, we should when do did that. You start reading books. <laughs> we should not do that. That would be disastrous. Um, I mostly listen to audiobooks when I can. Okay. I, I still like so I still I read slow uh, when I'm reading, but I can listen at a faster pace, so it's it's easier. Um, but yeah, I know I bought I bought the uh, King uh, King Warrior Magician Lover, and because um, it has diagrams. <laughs> I didn't know it had diagrams, but oh, a pleasant. I, I highly recommend reading that one. I recommend reading it slowly and and trying to honestly look at yourself when you read it. Fuck, As I opposed thinking, to, I was thinking about reading it before our podcast interview on Friday. <laughs> yeah. Is that too fast? <laughs> it's it's a for me. I mean, I read it like on my breaks. It took me like two weeks on my breaks. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's like it's like it I think it's like three hundred pages or something. Yeah, it's oh, it's shit. quick. Okay. That's not bad. All right. Well, what is the most unrealistic thing you believe in? Libertarianism? <laughs> sort of. <laughs> <laughs> At least we're acknowledging that it's unrealistic. No, uh, the, I believe... Yeah, I know. <laughs> I believe that in a century or two, people will look back at government similar to how they look at slavery now and think like, how could anybody think that that was okay? I hope you're right. <laughs> Me too. If there was one behavior or action that you could get everyone in the world to do or stop doing, what would it be? I don't want to say meditate. That's boring. <laughs> no, that's it's it's true. It's not boring. I'd say nine out of ten I want, people we have on this podcast say meditation. I know, and it's so interesting. I mean, I I think you should listen to them. Learn the archetype types and incorporate them. Ah, know thyself. What is the most annoying thing about people? I like that you put the emphasis on about. <laughs> about people. <laughs> Um, nothing. They're people are wonderful. Uh, our default settings suck. Our factory settings. What do you think our factory you, settings are? Believe what everybody else believes and tells you to believe. Um, go on the prescribed path. Don't step out of line. And then that's you can funny. pass you think, your genes into the future. Do you think that's our default setting, or do you think that's just something that's implanted onto us very young? Both. I, I think, yeah. I think I think 95% of the population are NPCs. What's NPCs? Non-player characters. 
<laughs> they just do what they're programmed to do. And and no matter what, there's going to be some kind of programming from, from society and the culture you grow up in. <clears throat> I'm sure it... I don't know. That makes me think of the the rat experiment, which I'm, we're going to need to watch that YouTube video, where they gave rats a utopia and the vast majority of them became like cannibals and a very small percentage of them were sort of took on the utopia and like they were called the chosen ones. We talk about this in Fred's episode part one. You can find the link in that episode description. I guess I can put it here too. But. Um. But it makes me wonder if there's not some correlation to those that are not that are not NPCs. <laughs> They're the ones that are like, eh, everybody else is kind of eating each other. I'm gonna come over here and not do that. Yes, instead of eating each other, they ask the state to steal their stuff. But that's pretty scary. I mean, if, that, <laughs> if that's, <laughs> but if if that is our true fundamental programming of 95% of the people in this world is to just do what they're told. I mean, and that's not just, you know, ingrained through some sort of fear mechanism early on. That's a bleak outlook for our future. Wouldn't you nope. say? No, I don't think it's bleak. Cause I think, I think the 5% are innovating. Innovation is on the fringes. Yeah, That's then, where everything is made. I mean, that that five percent then needs to be the shepherd of the other ninety five percent, and that that always seems to Not go poorly. Snow. I don't think the shepherd. I think they just. Oh, are you still there? Yeah, yeah. But if they're okay. if they're if they're NPCs, they need to be you know told what to do. No, I think they. It, it doesn't. I don't think it. I don't think it necessarily has to be a domination thing. Uh, I think people just do what they think they're supposed to do. Uh, and then the 5% of people will boldly sit on the bus despite what color their skin is and um, things like that. And they're and they they're the ones who innovate and push society in a better direction. It's, it's, it's a, I don't know if it's 95%, but they're heavy and they have to move slowly. The 5% can only pull so much. So it takes a lot of time. And that's why we'll have anarchy in 200 years. <laughs> I've, I've been spent, like, over the last year, I've asked this question to Trevor at least 20 times of being, like, just so weirded out as why why have we moved so slow? I, I mean, I was thinking about it today a lot, I guess, and being, like, I, I guess a lot of our innovation started moving much faster when we were when we, there became global communication but like isn't it crazy to think about that you know the oh, whatever 99.99999% of our progress has happened in the last millisecond of the human race and what were we doing what were we doing this whole time we were trying to find berries to eat <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, to, that's the I, that's the actual answer yeah we, uh, I mean, the technology, you, you slowly develop technology, the technology develops more technology faster, and then that technology develops more technology. I think that's that's really what happened. Thus an exponential <laughs> increase in technology. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like that answer? <laughs> uh... 
I don't know. I mean. So I think the, the struggle, I'm trying to uh, rope this back in, the, the struggle for the modern person is to understand how our psyche developed for those millions of years, even before we were human, and how we need to do some work to make it fit into this modern world where we can stay in one place forever and still survive and not have to face mammoths anymore and things like that, but we still have to find some other way to go on an adventure. Oh, have you have you read uh, the Wait But Why on Taming the Mammoth? The... No. You should definitely do that right now. That's also that's an episode one link episode notes. Uh, Wait But Why is an amazing webcomic, and Taming the Mammoth is one of the very best ones. Uh, it's just it's all about why we have um, social anxiety. It's really interesting. It's a great breakdown. Nice. What is something that is really popular now, but in five years, everyone will look back on and be embarrassed by? Yeah, it's like finding the 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 funny hairdos of our time. Yeah. In the what old, I call your... the uh, the fuckboy haircut with the <laughs> oh yeah the shaved the shaved sides. Everyone calls it the fuckboy haircut. Is it? Yeah. I wasn't sure how how often that was used. Who the fuck goes into a barber shop? It's like you know what? <laughs> I want the fuckboy. Fuck my, give, give me the fuck boy, please. My friend Say Brian, no more, who, 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 who we sent you a picture of him wearing my hair that time. He he proudly goes like, "Oh yeah, check out my new fuck boy hair haircut." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, he he okay. rocks it very well. It looks nice on him. I you know it has a certain appeal to it. Um, for the sake of the arts. Uh, hopefully, uh, like it's usually in rap or hip hop, whatever you're supposed to call it now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I sound like an old man. Um, lyrics contained in a song that have nothing to do with each other. Mm, I think they've even taken it a step further these days and just have yeah, mumbled lyrics trap music this is this is what they play in thailand like and this is what represents america in thailand is trap music and it is so, so horrible i hear the nightlife there is amazing <clears throat> sure um <laughs> <laughs> we haven't really experienced maybe, it maybe more in bangkok yeah. um no but like they'll be like Grandma got the arthritis in her hands bad. Feed a village in Liberia. That kind of thing. Those <laughs> those two lyrics are in the same song. Yeah, I mean, I think I th- honestly I kind of blame Little Wayne for that. I mean, he just would like say random shit that rhymed, and people would be like, "Oh my god!" I'm like, uh, yeah. "Doesn't make any sense, guys." And then I feel like that evolved into trap music, which is literally just and then and I'm like. They're not yeah. saying anything. It's not if even it, that good of a it, beat. If it rhymes, it's good. <laughs> yeah, now you don't even need don't, to make it rhyme. You just need to make it mumble the same. I mean, it's fucking crazy. Make it whiny, whiny mumbles. Maybe that one will be in a uh, hundred years when we accept anarchy, and not five years. 
Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> what oh. is your favorite thing about yourself? Oh. Um. I'm not done. I'm still putting myself together. I'm not coasting. I'm still trying to understand myself. Because it doesn't matter like how good you are now. It's if you're the same person when you're 30 and when you're 60, then that's a problem. Yes. May I always look back upon myself and be impressed by how far I've come. That's a nice way to word that. Be impressed with how stupid I was. I know. That's what <laughs> yeah. I always say. I'm like, God, I, I hope I always look back at myself from two years ago and say, God, I was such an asshole. <laughs> Yep. I was. No more, though. <laughs> no more? None? Non-asshole? <laughs> you will not find an asshole on me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you don't have okay, an asshole? Like a... <laughs> Sounds like a serious <laughs> medical problem. You should really get that. <laughs> Is that why you're so full of shit? Oh. Slow clap. <laughs> uh, what is your most embarrassing story from childhood? Fuck. Fuck. <laughs> Do you have a good memory? I don't remember. <laughs> so the interesting thing about memory is it doesn't matter how good you think it is. <laughs> I don't know. Because you can, <laughs> you can have a strong idea of what your memory is <laughs> well, I, something what I, f- I feel like we cut out what did, what, I didn't hear what you guys were laughing at <laughs> Jen's just saying random shit I, I don't know uh, you don't know what um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I ever told anybody this uh, I was like 11 so maybe this had to maybe this had to do with the atheist thing. Um, no, I was hold it. What's seventh grade? Eighth grade. Seventh grade. Thirteen is eighth grade for you. Okay, so okay, so I was like twelve or thirteen. Um, I had one of those like fake child childhood girlfriends, <laughs> where you just say your your boyfriend and girlfriend. Uh, I went over to her house when I wasn't supposed to because uh, she had strict parents. And her parents pulled in or started to pull in. We were in the backyard. Uh, and I quickly gave her a peck. It was my my first time I ever kissed a girl. And then I like quickly walked away. So I'm, I have all these endorphins going. I was like, oh, that was awesome. I'm awesome. Mm-hmm. And then her neighbor's dog started chasing me. <laughs> and, I, and I started running and... And I was like, so like fight or flight mode, running away, just a huge, and, and I was like looking around, I was like, someone probably saw that, like someone probably saw that looking out there. So, yeah, I don't think I've ever talked about that to anybody. It just, that the question just reminded me of it. 
That's a beautiful story. That should really be in a movie. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, so many things aligning. Your parents pulling in, <laughs> you kissing, confidently walking away, and then sprinting. <laughs> you need to like, get like, clotheslined by a tree or something. Like, it's like flat on your back <laughs> as the dog comes over. <laughs> Uh, what is... We already asked about your book, so... And we already <laughs> yeah. know the life practices. Or should we ask that anyway? Is there anything else? Sure. Ask it. What life practices do you do to keep yourself sane and balanced? <laughs> I, so, I mean, one thing I haven't talked about yet is I, I really like my alone time. Uh, and I don't think it's a bad thing. I, f- I feel like I'm, I, I get, if I get a, like a long day of, I can do whatever I want and there's nobody else around. It really feels like a healing experience for me. It doesn't feel like I'm detached or anything. Uh, it gives me the energy to go, go teach a class full of 12 to 14 people. Um, so that's, that's one thing I, I get my alone time. Would you categorize yourself as an introvert or an extrovert? Extremely introverted. Yes, I can relate. What is the most environmentally friendly thing you do and the main environmentally friendly thing you want others to do. So the best way to save the environment uh, and slow down anthropogenic global warming, which is a real thing that's happening, you're welcome. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Is um, you need to create win-win situations. So I'm going to create a win-win-win situation. Uh, You're going to go to occasionallyinteresting.com and click on the Amazon link, and then you're going to go and type in LED light bulbs, which are significantly more energy efficient. They cost a little bit more, and then you save money in the long run. And they last way longer than than halogen or the other CFL or other kinds of light bulbs. So switch all the lights out to LED. Nice. That's good. That's better than what I thought you were going to say, which was... Vote free market, laissez fair. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> that's that's on my podcast. <laughs> okay. Why do people do small talk? <clears throat> um, I think humans naturally try to give each other a lot a lot of uh, signals uh, that are nonverbal, so. I think small talk is to like get that connection going and get get information flowing back and forth so that so like the other person knows I'm not a weirdo and I'm not about to rob him or something like that. So, so you're just trying to signal that you're a normal person to the other person. That's interesting. Like you're giving off all these signals and then the small talk sort of like making sure that we're understanding the signals correctly of like no it's cool guy. Yeah. What's up? Interesting. How's the weather been? Yeah, that's a unique answer. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. I'm very unique. <laughs> Do you have any questions for us? Um, you don't have to. <laughs> Just no pressure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, 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 we're kind of going backwards here. I I wanted to ask Jen, um, because I'm not exactly sure how to think about it. I don't know how good my memory is, but. Do you, would you agree that I was anxious back oh, when we were? Yes, one hundred p. No doubt oh. about it. <laughs> okay, that's that's so weird because 
a couple of years ago, I, was, I, I had I had the idea that like I've always been anxious, and then and then I like thought back and I was like, I don't know, I was more outgoing in high school. I don't think I was as anxious, and I thought I think it started picking up around college, but I wasn't sure how to think about it. And then I was like, well, maybe I'm wrong. I'm gonna ask Jen. Yeah. So, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Any other questions about your your former self? <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> um. Uh, not that I can think of. Huh. This was very emotionally draining. <laughs> you did great. You're a champion. <laughs> a great way to start your day, and now you have to go. Uh, I don't know. But what's Talk your uh, what's your relationship to video games at this point? I, <laughs> um, not like okay, so. I would easily put in a nice eight hour shift, uh, back in my early twenties. And I don't do that anymore. I kind of, I do play video games. Um, would you have ever qualified yourself as a video game addict? Yes. Yes. What was your, uh, G O C your your game of choice? (laughs) The one where you kill mammoths. Skyrim. Skyrim. Yeah, the, ah, the yes. Bethesda the Bethesda model is is just I love it so much. It I I'm a hoarder. I like building a little base, bring everything yeah. back. I think I was probably pretty lucky. I, I bought Skyrim, and I didn't realize you could fast travel. <laughs> so I spent probably three days being really fucking pissed off that I had to run everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I did that then, with Oblivion. And then I figured out. I think I got. I think I was just so pissed. I was like, you know what? Fuck this game, and I never <laughs> played again. Because it's and definitely you stopped playing video games. I, honestly, yeah, I think that was like the last video game that I really played. Yeah. Um, what is this? A walking simulator? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it was so tedious. Was like, yeah. How is this so fucking popular? Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't have to, like, I don't even have to limit myself anymore. I just kind of like, I'll play for like an hour or two, and then I'll just lose interest. That's um, nice. Did, was, it, before, has it, how did it get that way? Like, was there a was there intention uh, to back off or none at all? I I think I just filled my life with other things that uh, were more were, were just better and more interesting to me, mm. <clears throat> like Muay Thai. That's good. Then work. <laughs> I think that creates a positive outlook for a generation of gamers coming up. It'll be interesting. Like, I mean, I think I think that through, I'm assuming you're our age. Yes. Our childhood was really a renaissance of video games. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see. Like, I mean, if I and I wasn't allowed my own gaming console till I bought one for myself at like 15 or something like that. Um, and if I had grown up with one, I think I would have been even more introverted or been more comfortable not social going out and being social and i was like yeah fuck it i can play sonic for eight hours you're 15 <laughs> oh I still uh, what's sonic. more what's more is i built a standing desk so i stand when i play now nice and i feel like that's it's, i just feel so much better like i would you feel like garbage when you're just sitting still for even like two hours so yeah i do i have a standing desk now maybe that's why i don't want to play as much <laughs> Yeah, no. I think that's it's an tough to stand solution. for eight hours. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. But do you think that video games are gonna are 
What 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 impact do you think video games or social media or just the massive amount of screen time that is so easily available will have on society? Like going forward. Um I don't it's hard to say. It's I don't know what's going to happen, but I encourage everyone to to find more fulfilling things and understand that these things are are designed to get you looking at them as much as possible and scrolling past as many ads as possible. And it's not to your benefit at all. So understand that when using them. And if you find yourself scrolling on Facebook looking for a fight like I would do in my past life... <laughs> Um, you might need a change. I think that's fair. See, I hope that we'll we'll come to a point where all of these technologies wind up being used in a more useful manner. Like, I think I think how engaging video games are is a fantastic has fantastic potential to be a great teaching tool. Like going back to education, if they could somehow combine education and video games in a more pleasing manner that might be a good way to sort of conquer some of the more tedious learning like math or reading english all that kind of stuff that can be easily or, taught or incorporating the archetypal energies yeah they already do that pretty well i mean but then in a way that that's more practical and, and relatable to our lives and yep. yeah i mean i think that that's I think there's like yeah, I think we haven't even begun to tap the potential of these technologies for self-improvement. It's all been probably because it's all run by these major corporations. <laughs> yeah, Man. we should subsidize them so that yeah. we get more technology out of it. Exactly. <laughs> that doesn't break anything. No, it's, they should be owned by the workers so that they have a say in what is produced. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Marxist Simulator 2020. <laughs> you can call it the little, the little red, the little red <laughs> game. Uh, On that note, <laughs> I, I want to say I'm a huge fan of the podcast. If that wasn't clear, uh, um, thank you. It's, it's, it, it really is coming at an interesting time in my life where I can see a lot of parallels with what the things you guys talk about and. The uh, not so pleasant aspects of my last couple of years, but it's all for the better. So thank you. You're making the world a better place. Thank you. Oh yeah, that's, that's such a nice thing yeah, to say. That's amazing to hear. And uh, thank you for uh, helping us get get set up our podcast. I think you like <laughs> cho- selected our audio equipment and stuff way back when. So you're an OG. Oh, I. <laughs> it's all my fault. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, thank you. Today on Occasionally Interesting, you've been listening to Eric C. <laughs> We're happy to have him on. And as always, you can go to our footnotes and see everything that he's talked about. And use our link on Amazon to buy all the things that he's talked about. <laughs> We'd like to thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> 
Thank you. It was it was very interesting. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> we look forward Bye. to having you come to Thailand. <laughs> okay. Getting on the plane now. All right, great. See you in <laughs> 25 hours. Yes. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye.